Welcome to True Crime Mysteries, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart of the world's most gripping true crime stories. I'm your host, Megan, and I've spent years researching, investigating, and seeking the truth in dark corners where most people dare not look. Each week, we'll delve into a new case, peeling back layers of mystery, law, and human behavior. Together, we'll explore the intricate webs woven by those who break society's most sacred laws. We'll cover cold cases, missing persons, and recently uncovered serial killers, and instances where DNA has identified a killer. Join us as we journey back in the past, bring decade-old cases to life, and explore the dark, tragic, and inexplicable. And maybe find a light of justice at the end of the tunnel. This is True Crime Mysteries. Today we're discussing three recently solved cold cases in Canada. Let's get into it. Number three, Muriel Mann. On March 6, 1984, 50-year-old Muriel Mann's body was discovered in a freezer in her home in Gondola Point in Kings County, New Brunswick, Canada. Two friends had gone over to her home to check on her after not hearing from her for a few days, which was unusual, and they were the ones that found Muriel's body in the freezer. Muriel was a widower, a mother of four, and a retired nurse. She was described as a strong woman, generous, and warm. Her cause of death was determined to be a blunt force trauma, which had caused a skull fracture. Her death was ruled a homicide. Muriel, at the time of her murder, was dating John Maven, who had been reported to be one of the friends as well as a neighbor who had gone to find Muriel. There had been some speculation that John Maven was a suspect over the years. Very little information is available today on what happened after the discovery, and her case eventually went cold. On March 30th, 2022, the Kennebecase Regional Police Force put out a press release. The KRPF talked on the historical homicide of Muriel Mann. She was discovered murdered in a deep freezer. In this release, they said that they had received new information from an anonymous tip from the public that made them reopen Muriel's cold case. After examining the information, they discovered new suspects. They also confirmed that John Maven was not a suspect in Muriel's homicide. John died in 2005. However, his daughter was told by police that her father was no longer a suspect. The dark cloud over the family finally lifted. Police had never formally accused John Maven of the crime. John eventually fled Canada after receiving multiple death threats from the community. He relocated to Paris, France, where he remained until he passed. Law enforcement believed that Muriel was killed because she had learned someone close to her was committing criminal acts, and that she was murdered so she could not go to the police. Her children were informed of the police findings and have been reported never to have been suspects themselves. Law enforcement said that with the 38 years that had passed since Muriel's murder, all the people involved are now deceased. They said in a press conference, quote, We will never be given the opportunity to validate our findings in court. Our investigation is now complete and the file is closed. And out of respect to all parties concerned, they will give no further details. Number 2. Lubica Topic. On the evening of May 14, 1971, 6-year-old girl Lubica Topic and her 8-year-old brother were playing with some children in an abandoned lot behind their home in Windsor, Ontario, Canada, 
when a man came from a restaurant across the street and approached the group of kids. He offered Lubica eight bucks to do a job for him. This was the equivalent of about $60 Canadian today. And he also gave her brother a dime and said to go play with your bike. Her brother had said that that was the last time he saw her when the man offered her his hand and she took it, walking off in the other direction. After that, her brother went straight home to tell his mother about what had happened. Lubitsa's mother went straight to the abandoned lot, but by the time she arrived, there was no sign of her or the man. Her mother immediately started looking for her. She had stopped a police officer and said that her daughter was missing. Very quickly after that, over 150 volunteers and law enforcement were on the streets looking for the six-year-old. At about 1 a.m. on May 15th, approximately four hours after the search had started, an officer found Lubitsa by a garage in the backyard of a house only a few blocks from her home. Lubitsa had been violently beaten, her right leg was broken, and she'd been sexually assaulted. Police collected evidence from the scene, which included some of Lubitsa's teeth and an adult tooth. Other DNA evidence was collected at this time, which was unheard of and very forward-thinking of the forensic team at the time. Investigators reported that she'd been attacked and killed about an hour after she'd been abducted. Newspapers across the country reported about Lubitsa's murder in the days following. Police reported in 1971 they were looking for a man in his 20s, about 6 feet tall with a brush cut, wearing a zipper jacket and dark trousers. The description is based on what the brother told authorities. During the initial investigation, police asked the public for any information on this unique couple and if anyone had seen the girl or the man, as well as after, as the man would have been covered in blood. Police fielded hundreds of leads all across Canada, even a reward for information would get to a total of $11,000, but would never bring substantial leads. Weeks, months, and years went by, and Lubitsa's case went cold. In the next four decades, police would get over 700 persons of interest, but none of them made it to suspect. Over the years, they tested DNA from the crime scene with nothing coming from those tests. In 2015, they would tie several pieces of DNA to one person, but they still didn't get any hits on who that person was. 2015 was also when law enforcement released the information about the adult tooth to the public for the first time in the hopes that someone might come forward about the case. Eventually, DNA and forensics would advance. With the evidence collected all those years ago, authorities were able to use DNA and science called phenotyping to get an idea of what the suspect had looked like. Windsor police eventually turned to genetic genealogy, and they reached out to the US company Parabon Nano Labs to see if they could find any relatives related to the DNA. Websites like GEDmatch or Ancestry.com allow you to say whether authorities can use your genetic information. With that, they were able to find distant relations all over Canada, the US, and Europe. Investigators then worked back to build family trees, then forward with the genetic similarities and regions. Eventually, they narrowed it down to a small group, and investigators were able to get authorization to get DNA samples from this small group to rule out. Eventually, they were able to identify a single suspect. In December 2019, the Windsor Police announced that they had identified the suspect in Lubitsa's case. They would announce the man had died earlier that year, in February 2019. They would not release his name to the press, saying it was a violation of his rights as the man was deceased. 
Since the man was already deceased, they had used saved tissue samples to match the DNA to the original DNA from the crime scene and found it was an exact match, but didn't release why there was a saved tissue sample from this suspect. Windsor police did inform the Topich family and have since asked for privacy, not giving any comments to the media. This isn't the end of this case, though. The Windsor Star would fight a freedom of information battle that would drag on for more than three years to get the name of the suspect released to the public. In February 2023, the Windsor Star released the name of the assailant, Frank Arthur Hall, who was 70 years old when he died. Lubica may not be his only victim, and they hope that releasing the name helped to solve other unsolved crimes. Frank Arthur Hall was 22 when Libitsa was murdered. He lived approximately two kilometers down the road from the Topich family. He eventually moved from Ontario to Edmonton, Canada, where he lived until he died. After more than 50 years, Lubitsa's case is closed, with their family and community getting answers about who committed such a horrific crime. This is a case that really shook and rattled the community here in Windsor in southwestern Ontario back in 1971. We're talking about a six-year-old girl, Lubika Topic, and she was just playing outside of her home with her brother at the time around dusk, and her brother stepped away. Police said a stranger approached her, lured her away, and offered her some money, and that was really the last anyone had seen of her. And it wasn't uh, until police started searching for her, there was a massive response with officers and members of the community as well and later that night police say an officer did find her outside uh, and she was sexually assaulted and murdered and uh, police say that five decades went by without any real substance to allow them to make an arrest in this case hundreds of tips from all over this country and the united states and it wasn't until 2019 that police say they believe they identified uh, the person responsible for this and that was because of dna advancements and there were more than 500 persons of interest in this case but they say they believe that this person was uh, the one who committed these crimes and at the time though in 2019 they wouldn't identify this person they said Uh, they were deceased, they wouldn't have their day in court, and that really um, outraged a lot of people in this community who thought the identity of this person should be made public. And it wasn't until late last night that Windsor Police sent out a news release identifying the person in this case believed to have killed six-year-old in Windsor as Frank Arthur Hall. Police say he was 22 years old at the time and lived nearby, but later in his life moved to Edmonton, where he died at the age of 70 in 2019. Now you may be wondering why all of this is coming out now. Well, police say there was a change in leadership that allowed them to reevaluate why they didn't release the name back in 2019. They also say they want to be fully transparent and that releasing a photo and a name of the suspect or the person believed to have committed this crime may help them uh, get information from the public for other investigations that are conducting, but they wouldn't elaborate on that. But what they didn't say in the release was that there were freedom of information requests from media outlets, including the CBC, trying to get access to this person who who they believe killed and, and committed such a heinous crime. They said at the time that this would be an unjustified invasion of their privacy and the deceased uh, no longer posed a threat to public safety. So clearly a change of opinion on that. The name has now been released and some closure for the family and the community here in Windsor. Number 1. Ghislaine Potve 
On the morning of April 28, 2000, 19-year-old college student Guilaine Pauvet was discovered deceased in her basement apartment in Jean Quiret, Quebec, Canada, about 200 kilometers from Quebec City. She had been found by a friend who had dropped her off at 9.30 p.m. the night before as Guilaine had an early morning the next day. After calling several times with no answer, her friend went to her apartment and found the door ajar, lights on, and music playing. She found Ghislaine almost naked and called 911. Ghislaine had been severely beaten and sexually assaulted. She had lived with two other female college students at the time, but they were not home at the time of the attack. DNA was collected from the scene, but nothing came up when entered into several major databases. This case would eventually be handed over to Quebec's major crime unit. Eventually, Quebec authorities would tie Ghislaine's case to a case in Quebec City that had happened in July 2000, where a woman was sexually assaulted, severely beaten, and left for dead. This woman survived her attack, though we know little details of the attack due to a court-ordered publication ban put in place to protect this victim's identity. The two cases eventually went cold. After decades, the case would be passed down from detective to detective until it ultimately was stored with the Quebec Coal Case Unit. In 2018, they got a massive increase in resources, which were put to reopening the case. Over the years, they came up with a few suspects, all of whom would get cleared one by one through DNA comparison. On October 12, 2022, the Quebec police announced their first case solved after the expansion of their cold case unit in 2018. After 22 years, they had arrested a suspect in the Ghislaine Pontvin case. Law enforcement said that they used forensic biology techniques to find the killer, but did not release specific information as to how. The suspect has been identified as 47-year-old Marc-André Grenon of Granby, Quebec. On October 13, 2022, he was charged with first-degree murder, attempted murder, and sexual assault in the two cases from 2000, which will be two separate cases in court. Law enforcement have released pictures of Grenon through the years, as they are still investigating that there might be more victims out there and that he might be a serial predator. He moved around frequently, and there were large gaps of time when his whereabouts couldn't be accounted for. He also has a lengthy criminal history. Publication Ban is keeping much information about his arrest a secret, but some information is slowly coming forward. Shortly after his arrest, they got warrants to search his home and take fingerprints as well as DNA, which matched the DNA found in 2000. This ban still protects how they found Grenon as a suspect. He is currently being held in prison while he awaits trial, which is set to start in the spring of 2023. Law enforcement are still investigating the possibility that there may be other victims or open cases that may be tied to Grenon. Anyone with information is being asked to contact Crime Stoppers. Well, folks. We've reached the end of another gripping episode here on True Crime Mysteries. Thank you for joining me as we delve deep into the complexities of today's case. Before we go, let's not forget the human element in these stories. The victims, their families, and sometimes even the perpetrators are all part of a larger societal puzzle that we're trying to understand. While we explore these cases, it's crucial to remember the impact on real lives and communities. 
If you want to keep up with our weekly investigations, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you are captivated by these stories as we are, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. Your support helps us bring more unsolved mysteries and untold stories to light. With that being said, stay curious, stay vigilant, and most importantly, stay safe. Until next week, good night.